Hey Insider, I'm back with another special interview today featuring a success insider called Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is a lead investigator at Science of People. She designs original research experiments and scours the latest academic research to crack the code of human behavior. Her unique work has been featured on NPR, The Wall Street Journal, Today Show, and USA Today. And she has written for CNN, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. And the latest book, Captivate, was a national bestseller and was chosen by Apple as one of the most anticipated books of the year. So if you are somebody who want to take your influence, your charisma, and your confidence onto that next level, you're going to find today's interview incredibly useful. So without further ado, here's the interview featuring a success insider, Vanessa Van Edwards. Enjoy. The place I wanted to start and just really kick off is uh, you tell you basically say on your website, you're a self-recovering, boring person, right? True. Very true. Yes. What do you really mean by that specifically? Yeah. So um, I used to be very afraid of everything. Um, I was afraid of the emotional things, rejection, judgment, um, being criticized. And I was also just afraid of doing things wrong. And so what I think that fear did to me now that I look back is that fear kept me very caged in. So I became very boring. I was afraid to make a joke. So I didn't make any jokes. I was afraid to share any of my ideas. So I never raised my hand in class. I never, uh, shared my opinion in groups. And so I was this very, um, rigid kind of quiet, fearful person. And that made me very, very boring. And so I joke now that I'm recovering because I think that when we learn that actually withholding things and holding ourselves back actually keeps us from connecting, that's uh, worse than boring. That's actually extremely limiting. Right. What would you say was a pivotal shift that made you want to not be boring? Was there like a one moment or was it more a series of events? (laughs) It's a good question. I think that um, I accidentally stumbled upon a lot of um, charisma advice just by letting myself be a little bit more vulnerable sometimes. So what ended up happening was I was so tired of being afraid, right? I would go to a birthday party and I would be like, should I say that? Should I say that? Was that awkward? Was that weird? Was that funny? And it was exhausting. I'd come home from those events just like like ready to go to sleep. And um, I was so tired of it that sometimes I would just let my guard down. And that's when I actually made the most friends. It's when I had the most, the best conversations, when I had the most fun. And I thought to myself, how is it that I actually have more energy when I give more and less energy when I give less? And that's when I realized, and there was a very specific time in my life where I began to realize that I got out exactly what I put in. And there's a, a story that I like to share with my students about karaoke. I don't know. Do you ever do karaoke? Uh, well, as a Korean, we we meant to be really <laughs> big into it, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not very good. But yeah, I do it. I'm not very okay. good. <laughs> okay. So so I I'm terrible at karaoke. It's like it was my biggest fear. I mean, talk about a, a fearful person. Karaoke was like the Everest for an awkward person, right? <laughs> and so um, I got invited to a karaoke party from one of my very good friends. And everyone was kind of, you know, up there and they weren't even killing it. They were just like, you know, singing their hearts out and it wasn't even good. And still I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And the, my friend said, for my birthday, everyone has to do a song. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, how can I say no to that? Right. One of my best friends, how can I say no to that? And so, um, one of the women next to me, she said, karaoke is not about your singing. It's about how much energy you put in. If you own it, it doesn't matter if you have a good or bad voice, people will love it. 
And so I picked uh, the song Slim Shady by Eminem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's not like, it's not, it's a totally ridiculous song, but I thought, what better song to like really get into it, close my eyes and just kind of try to wrap it out. People loved it. People loved it. And I was like, you know what? I didn't try to sing my heart out. I didn't have the best voice by any means, but I just tried, I, you know, I tried to do a worm on the floor, which didn't work. You know, I tried to, uh, to, to rap, which was horrible, obviously. And people loved it. They laughed. I thought it was great. People gave me high fives. It was the most social acceptance I had ever felt. And yet I was doing something I was terrible at. And I was like, hmm, something's weird here, right? Like mm. if I got the most social acceptance at something I'm terrible at, maybe if I do things badly, but honestly and authentically, people will like that. Right. And from there, that's when you got fascinated in this whole world of studying into human behavior and so forth? Yeah, so I always have liked looking at um, different social experiments and trying to figure out if there was any science behind it. So uh, what I did was I thought, you know, I, I heard about vulnerability. By then, I don't think Brene Brown's TED Talk was out yet, for those who are vulnerability geeks. I don't think her TED Talk was out yet, but there was a little bit of research on sharing vulnerability. And I started to stumble across this really interesting research. One of the first experiments I remember reading was called about the spotlight effect. Have you ever heard of the spotlight effect? So what it is, is um, they had students walking to a big classroom full of students wearing a Barry Manilow t-shirt. Um, and the reason they picked a Barry Manilow t-shirt is because Barry Manilow is not a cool artist. It's really uncool. And they asked the students, if you're going to walk into a class with a Barry Manilow t-shirt, how many people do you think are going to notice that you're wearing a Barry Manilow t-shirt? And all the students thought that everyone would notice. They're like, oh my God, it's going to be so embarrassing. It's going to ruin my social life. It's going to ruin my reputation. But actually what happened is the students walked into the classroom and very few people noticed. And the whole point is that you think, you spotlight your vulnerabilities, your mistakes, but other people don't see them. So that was one of the very first studies where I was like, okay, there's something to this. And that's when I began to reverse engineer. So I thought to myself, if I want to be my best self, but I don't have the inner confidence, I don't have it. Can I learn about strategies and tactics that can give me confidence that, that I can bring out into the real world? And that's exactly what I did. So I started to find all these really fascinating research experiments that had been done that were really helpful, but no one was talking about. And so that's what I started to do is bring the science into the light to show people uh, what can we really use in the real world to build our own confidence if you don't have it innately. Right. So what do you believe in your eyes is the opposite of boring? I mean, the opposite of boring is engaging. And when we talk about being engaging, I think we have to look at the science. So very, very highly engaging people or very highly charismatic people uh, are more contagious. They've actually proven this. They found that people who are highly charismatic, right? When we think about highly charismatic people, they're actually more contagious. So if a highly charismatic person is in a bad mood, they're going to infect more people with their bad mood than people who are on a lower charismatic scale. And that can go both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. So if a highly charismatic person's in a good mood, they can walk into a boardroom or a party or a meeting and they make everyone's day, right? Everyone gets excited about it. So what that taught me was that if I wanted to be highly charismatic, I had to make sure that I was at least infecting people with the right emotions. And so that's why I think that our doing interpersonal skills, doing work on ourselves and our confidence is so important. It's not just for us. It's also for the benefit of everyone else. Right. And do you believe there is a way that you can become likable in front of everybody? 
because mm. isn't there some form of not i mean there's that cliche not everybody will like you so yeah. is it possible to influence everybody in your eyes or i think it's not possible to have everyone like you and trying to do that is going to set you up for failure right it's it's be, the reason for this is because of something called the similarity attraction effect so typically we are attracted to people or we like people who are like us and that's really hard right because we like to have diversity we like to um, meet people who are different than us but actually the science says the more similar to us someone is the better this is why you'll have a group of um everyone has the same kind of sarcastic bitter teasing sense of humor that works for them right they like that for me, that does not work for me. I take it all far too personally. I would much rather be a positive goofball. So in that way, that's okay with me, right? You can have that sarcastic sense of humor and that works for you and your friends, whereas I wanna find what works for me. So I always like to teach my students that there's um, different flavors of charisma. I think that we used to be taught that there was one kind of charismatic, the, the kind of booming extrovert, right? When you think of a highly charismatic person, most people are like, oh, it's the party animal, the life of the party, that booming extrovert personality. That's actually not true. Imagine if we were all booming extroverts. No one would ever get a word in, right? We would never ever hear, we would never ever, ever get to actually listen to anyone. And so we actually have to have different kinds of charisma. So. I like people to think about what is your brand of charisma and can you find other people who either match you or appreciate you? So it might be the booming extrovert. For me, that, that's not. I'm an ambivert. So an ambivert is when someone falls in between an extrovert and introvert. So ambiverts, we are uh, good at listening. We love to be empathetic, but we also, in certain situations, like to uh, share. We like to share stories. We don't necessarily have to hold back. And so I used to think I was an introvert, but actually I'm an ambivert. So it's figuring out what your unique flavor is and then owning it. What would you say when you were, when you were boring, quote unquote, what would you say is the biggest change that you personally made in regards to how you were showing up other than you talk about vulnerability, but was there something else that you did specifically as an influence strategy? Good question. I, yeah, I think that... Um, one of the, the mental tricks I used was a game changer and this happened accidentally. So for a long time, I used to think I have to impress people, right? I have to think of a really funny story to tell, or I have to ask um, the best possible questions, or I have to share really um, Im impressive anecdotes. And that was, is one way of doing it, right? People can be impressed by impressive anecdotes, funny stories always kill in a room, right? That always works. What was a real game changer though, was I was asked to do a panel at a conference. And so I was gonna lead the panel of these really, I thought, big VIPs. And so I was like, oh my gosh, these are huge VIPs. How am I gonna lead this panel? And they gave me very little time to prepare. They, the person who was supposed to moderate the panel wasn't available. So like, Vanessa, can you step in and do it? I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't prepared any questions. I hadn't done any research. So I had like, 10 to 15 minutes in the green room with all these VIPs before we walk out on stage. And they're like, you know, just chit chat for a while, come up with some good questions and then go out on stage and introduce them. So I had 15 minutes where I definitely didn't want to be impressive. I needed them to impress me, right? I needed to ask them very specific questions to be able to introduce them each well. And then I also needed to find some kind of hot button topics to talk about on stage. And that completely shifted my mindset in how I was asking them questions. I was searching for ways for them to impress me. And that was an aha moment because not only do we have a great conversation in the green room, 
right? Really fascinating, interesting things I learned about these VIPs I had never heard before. We had a great time on stage and they said to me, you know, you asked a bunch of questions that we had never been asked before. And that was a moment where from then on, I thought, okay, instead of walking into a conversation and thinking, I want to impress them. I want to be impressive, which is what most of us do with networking events, with VIPs and meetings. The opposite is how can I meet people and let them impress me? What questions can I ask? So when I meet someone typically, and this is not a fair inter interaction because you're interviewing me, but normally if we would have met at a party, I would be pretending that I was about to interview on stage and imagining what questions I have to ask you to solicit any of those interesting nuggets out of you. That would be the, the mentality. That was a real game changer. Did you do any form of uh, like... Uh, going for acting classes or any form of like video recording yourself on video because it seems like you really the, the the first impression that you give off is a very warm impression oh thank you <laughs> no problem and i feel like if you're saying you know you used to be boring you must have improved it over time somehow did you adopt any habits like that specifically yeah, it's a good question. So I totally, I was talking a lot about the verbal techniques, but I also did a lot of nonverbal work. So it's a very good question. So um, I think that when we're talking about communication, especially first impressions, there are two things that someone is looking at. They're looking at the verbal side of things. What are the first words I use? And they're also looking at the nonverbal, my facial expressions, my voice tone, my body language, how I move, my hands. Um, there's those two aspects that are at play. The first one that I talked about already was verbal, right? So for example, when I first meet someone, I try to use engaging words. Even when I say, oh, I'm so happy to be here, happy, pleasure, I'm trying to use up warm words. On the nonverbal side, I also um, got very, very deep into the body language science. And I learned what are the negative microexpressions? What are my tells? Like when I'm nervous or anxious, how does that come out in my body? And how do I minimize that so I'm not infecting people with my nervousness? One thing I realized when I was so fearful is that fear was coming out of every pore of my body. I mean, I was, I looked nervous and that made other people feel nervous. So instead of having people interact with me and feel like they were welcome and they belonged and they were calm and comfortable, they were actually picking up on my anxiety, which was the, the worst possible way to interact. So yeah, the other aspect was trying to figure out what are my nervous tells. One way that um, I don't know if your listeners want to take a little challenge, but this is a really, really powerful challenge you can do. So for your next five phone calls and try to do phone calls with different kinds of people, a parent, a client, a colleague, a VIP, a cold call, the cable company, right? Totally different people. Turn on your video camera and video just your end of the conversation. Try to forget about the camera being there and just have your normal conversation. Watch those video videos back and count every single micro negative. So one of the things I teach is this idea of micro messages that we are sending out very small, subtle, nonverbal cues. A micro negative are very small, negative, nonverbal cues that you send out. Everything from an eye roll to a frown to pinching me uh, to your eyebrows together to these two lines appear that look like anger to uh, distancing your body. So turning your body away so you're not angling towards the person to covering your mouth, to cracking your knuckles or in your hands, every negative body language cue that you can see. That's one column. So you get a piece of paper, a pen, and on one column, I want you to write all the negatives. The next column, I want you to write all the positives. Anything that you do that you think looks positive. So that would be smiles, leans, uh, nodding, using hand gestures, um, 
making eye contact with the camera or, you know, if it's a video call, it's even better. You're on the phones, you can't really make eye contact. You can put up a mirror if you want to. Um, uh, I, I mentioned leaning in, any kind of positive. Eyebrow raises are another really positive um, micro gesture. And then I want you to make a column for question marks. The last column is just a question mark of things that you're like, I don't know how that came across. Was it positive? Was it negative? And add all those things. If you're doing really well, you should have the longest column be your positive column, right? That should be the most things that you see. If you're giving off signs of anxiety, you'll notice that you have lots and lots and lots in your negative column. And that's what happened to me is I realized I was constantly sending out these micro negatives and I was barely sending out any micro positives. And so what you want to do is slowly after each phone call is keep doing those notes. And after time, you'll add more and more to the positive column and less and less to the negative column. It's a very simple exercise you can do to kind of quantify how you're coming across. It's really interesting because uh, I, I, I used to be very shy as well. Uh, about 11 years ago, I started transformation, but I used to film myself doing phone calls, especially taking job interview phone calls. And I used to just turn flush red and it was so freaking embarrassing watching it, but I could see why I kept on failing. <laughs> I could okay, really- can I ask you, how did you control the flushing? Because that's one thing that's really, really hard. I don't, I don't flush when I'm um, nervous, but some people do. Did you, did you find a technique to control that? I think just exposure therapy, just keep on doing it. Yeah. I just yeah. kept on doing it over and over. Oh my God. They get, but they, the exposure therapy really works, right? If you keep putting yourself in an anxiety provoking situation, your body goes, well, after a while, this isn't anxious anymore. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But what I found is um, when I was adopting the strategies I was finding online, there were so many things to remember in regards to this, my body language in regards to, I was making every single mistake in the book. Yeah. I felt like I had so many things in my head that the next interaction, I was just stuck in my head again. I mean, is that something that you've ever heard of or you've experienced? I mean, what advice would you give to people who are wanting to really master this, but they're still stuck in here? Yes, that is so, so true. So one of the things I like to joke about is when you learn body language, if you learn too many skills at once, you end up like a body language Frankenstein, right? (laughs) You're like more hand gestures, nodding, smiling, angling, leaning forward, nodding, angling, (laughs) smiling, laughing, hand gestures. Like you're, you're, it's very robotic, right? You're like, you've cobbled together all these things. None of them feel authentic. You're way in your head about them. And you keep forgetting one like whack-a-mole, right? Like you got the hand gestures, but then you forgot the smiling, but then you forgot the eye contact and you're kind of constantly trying to whack one down. Um, so what I always say is uh, what you're trying to do, especially from a nonverbal perspective, is you're trying to get to muscle memory. Okay. So think about it like you're going to a gym. And I constantly remind my students, they're, they're athletes. They are emotional and mental athletes. Athletes, when they go to the gym, the first time they try something, it's very, very hard. I've never done it before. Specifically a squat. Have you ever done a squat? Yeah. Okay. So the first time I did a squat, I was doing literally everything wrong, right? Like my butt wasn't out far enough. My back was curved. I was leaning too far forward. My chin was in the wrong place. And so my trainer was like, chin, butt, hips, back, arms, chin, chest, arms, but the same thing, right? Constantly trying to fix one thing. So what we ended up doing is we first got just my stance right. Then we worked on my back. Then we worked on my chin. And after a couple of sessions, I was doing the squat perfectly. I didn't even have to think about my form anymore. Then I could add in a kettlebell swing. Then I could add in a bicep curl. Then I could add in a whole overhead lift. 
it's the exact same thing with body language. You want to think of first, what is just your squat stance? What's the most important, highest impact thing you could do? For you, it might be different than for me. So for me, one of my big ones was getting rid of my resting bitch face. <laughs> so resting bitch face is a serious thing. There's actually science behind it. And I listen like I'm angry, even though I'm not angry. And I knew that if I was going to do videos, if I was going to do podcasts, if I'm in pitch meetings or VIP meetings or coffees, if I'm listening to you like this, it's not going to go over very well. It doesn't matter how good my hand gestures are. It doesn't matter how good my vocal power is. If I'm making that face, nothing else is going to go well. So what is your squat position? What is the one highest impact thing? Just do that. Do that, just that one thing. Forget everything else until it's so natural to you that it's like muscle memory. You don't even do it anymore. And then you do the same thing again and again and again. So it's, 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 it's more tedious that way. I wish I could tell you you could do all at once, mm. but that's really important because you have to use muscle memory or else your cognitive load is too much. Cognitive load in a social interaction is going crazy, right? You're thinking about your body language. You're reading their body language. What you're going to say, you're listening to what they're going to say. You're also noticing the environment. You're also thinking about that you're hot or cold. You also think about your parking meter. I mean, there is so much going on. If I'm also asking you to control hand gestures, nodding, micro expressions, voice tone, priming, there's just no way. And so muscle memory takes cognitive load away from you so that you can focus on one thing at a time. That might be a week for you. It might be 20 days might be longer. What advice do you normally give to, let's say, authoritative leaders who want to have a resting bitch face because they want to come across authoritative? I mean, where is that fine line between coming across really likable and being a pushover, if that makes yes. sense? Yes. No, that, that's a very, very important point. So when we're talking about power and leadership, typically people in positions of power have a very still face. They are not smiling all the time. Uh, uh, they have less movement in their body, more stillness in their face. Now, there's a difference between stillness and resting face. So resting bitch face is when your face at rest is mimicking or very similar to a microexpression. So microexpressions were discovered by Dr. Paul Ekman. I talk a lot about them in my book. There are seven microexpressions, and five of those microexpressions are negative. So happiness, surprise are the only ones that are not super negative. Then you have disgust, contempt, anger, sadness, and fear. Those four are, uh, sorry, those five actually are more negative. And so if you're showing any aspect of those in your face, you're going to come across as angry, disgusted, contemptuous, fearful um, if you show those. So what you want to make sure of is when your face is at rest, it's either neutral or slightly positive. It doesn't mean you have to smile all the time, but I want to show you, um, I, I, I don't, are people going to be listening and watching? Yeah, yeah they're going to be watching. Most okay, of them okay. will be watching, yeah. Okay, great. So um, I just want to go through a little resting face exercise. So if you look at my face, when I have my mouth at rest, my, the corners of my mouth point down. Now this is my face at rest. Wow. That looks a little bit like sadness, right? A sadness microtrusion yeah. is like this. That's actually your resting face. This is my resting face. Oh yeah, that's definitely go down, yeah. Right. Everyone's face and their facial features are angled differently. For example, my eyes at rest, are rest are pretty neutral, right? They go out. Mm -hmm. Some people's eyes go down. Have you ever seen that? They actually are like lidded down. That means that they're going to struggle more with looking tired, even if they're not. 
they're going to struggle more with looking bored, even if they're not. For mm. me, my, the angle of my mouth makes me look sad or irritated, even when I'm not. So when I'm at rest with you, I don't listen to you like this. Even that's my resting face. The way I listen to you is I actually just very slightly engage this part of my mouth and it's muscle memory now. So I don't even think about it. So I look like I am neutral positive. So when I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you like this. All right. So subtle, but it makes a difference. Yeah. I don't think about it at all now. I had to for a couple of weeks. So Mm. now I make sure that my mouth is neutral to positive. That's really important. So if you're trying to be a powerful leader, I don't want you to be resting like this. I actually know people who rest with this kind of like concentration. You might think that you're concentrating, but that comes across as angry. These two vertical lines here indicate anger. So I just want to make sure that if you're going to come across, if you want that powerful, still is great. You do not have to sit like this. I do not want you to sit with a smile on your face. That's super inauthentic. But I do want to make sure that your facial features are working for you. So making sure that your mouth is neutral or angled up, making sure that your eyes are uh, either angled neutral or angled up. By the way, there's a couple of tricks you can do with this with eyes. So uh, if, you're, uh, if you are a female and like to wear makeup, you can actually angle your eye makeup to be more up. So I don't know if you can see. I'm going to go really close so you can see. Lucky, lucky you guys. You can, see. can you see my liner, how it goes up? Can you see that? Kind of, oh. yeah. I've never paid attention to makeup, so uh, I, I can see it does go a bit up. <laughs> For my ladies watching, you can actually make yourself look more awake by angling your liner and your shadow up. Um, that's a very, very, uh, it's a cool. really good skill for making you look more awake. For men who aren't using makeup or anyone who's not using makeup, mm-hmm. you should also know that when you're on video calls or when you're with people and you look down your face, you are going to look more tired because your lids are going to be more hooded, right? So you'll notice that I'm not listening like this, which is actually the way most people listen. They angle their head back and they look down. That makes me look much more tired because you can't see the whites of my eyes. I almost always angle so that you can see more of the whites of my eyes. So also being aware of the angle of your face. And that sounds really small, but I liken this kind of thing to a golf swing, right? Mm-hmm. Minor, minor tweaks in your swing are going to have massive um, output on your first impressions, especially your first impressions. So especially in the very beginning part of video, the very beginning part of interaction, making sure that you have more of an up face. So this is my, my regular face, right? This is my up face. Slightly different, but... It does make a difference in warmth, right? That, that, Definitely. That's what, what would you say is the, other than that, what would you say is the biggest mistake that you see entrepreneurs make or leaders make in regards to influence or coming across charismatic? Yeah. So um, most of our students, so we have a very typical archetype of student. I think it's actually very similar to hopefully people watching. Very, very high achievers. Almost all of our students are killing it in their career. Um, very ambitious typically entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, people who are making waves in their company or starting their own company. And the biggest, biggest mistake they make is because they're highly intelligent, because they're highly ambitious, because they're making waves, they think that they have to be only highly competent, competent, powerful, capable. Those are very important things. But when you actually look at the science of charisma, and this is the basis of our entire people school course, you have to have a blend of both warmth and competence. 
That is the definition of charisma. People who are both highly relatable, highly approachable, highly likable, and at the same time, highly capable, highly powerful, and highly competent. The biggest mistake that leaders make and entrepreneurs make is they think, I just have to be capable. I have to show my knowledge. But the problem is, is if you do that, you come across as intimidating, hard to talk to, distant. And if you truly want to be a leader, you also have to make sure that you are approachable and relatable. Otherwise, your team will be afraid to tell you things. Uh, you won't be able to pitch well. From stage or when you're giving presentations or pitches, people will think, I don't like him very much. We buy from people. We work from people. We like people who we both trust and think are smart. It has to be both those things. Mm, so true. I, I can relate so much because I've made so much, so, so many mistakes. In fact, you, you, uh, you've got some videos about reading faces as well, right? Yeah. We so have, you uh, just instantly just do it nowadays. You can just tell straight away. So um, it's the art and science of reading microexpressions is both an art and science. There are seven microexpressions. We can break them down very specifically by looking at different parts of the face. That's very scientific. There's also an art to it in the sense that if I was reading microexpressions all the time, I would never be able to have a relationship with someone because they would <laughs> constantly be giving me too much information. Right. So the art and science is about both spotting and responding to microexpressions. First is spotting them. The second thing is how do you respond, right? If you see disgust on someone's face, disgust is when you crinkle your nose up and flash your teeth at people, uh, that's disgust. You often see disgust when you ask someone a preference-based question and they're about to lie to you. So it's really, it's, we do a lot of lie detection research in our lab and it's a very big lie detection tell because you'll ask someone, so what do you think of the new girl? Yeah, yeah, she's, um, she's fine, yeah. And they're actually flashing that disgust at you while they do it. Um, do you say right then and there, you're disgusted. I see you being disgusted. No, you don't say that, right? You can't say that. So the next piece of it is how do you then reply in a way that allows them to be honest with you, allows them to express their true emotion and dig deeper into what is the cause of this disgust and how do I fix it? So that's a lot of the interpersonal intelligence we're talking about is leaders have to be able to both spot competent and respond with empathy, warmth. Both. This is so fascinating. We could go on forever. Uh, I know, I could talk about it all day. Yeah. It's a favorite topic. <laughs> so um, we're going to start wrapping up there, Vanessa. Just want, first thing I want to say, just want, I really appreciate your time today and really appreciate oh, you coming pleasure. on. Um, if you were to, because I find, you know, leaders, people tuning in right now, entrepreneurs, they're so busy. And sometimes they just allow this information to kind of just become shelf development. Let's say uh, yeah. they don't take action. If you were to just give one step for somebody to just act on right now, straight after this interview, what would that one step be and why? One, the most important action step that I think that you can do is get rid of the ambivalent relationships in your life. And the reason for this is because I've been doing a lot of research on uh, toxic people, difficult people, and we know about toxic people, but there's actually a really fascinating set of research on ambivalence. So ambivalence is actually more dangerous than toxic people. They did a great research study with police officers, and they found that police officers who have toxic relationships in their work environment are actually happier at work than police officers who have ambivalent relationships in their office. Why? If you know someone's difficult or toxic, you avoid them like the plague, right? You do the bare minimum with them. You never go out to lunch with them. You know, oh, going to avoid that person. 
if you're ambivalent about someone, they take a lot of mental energy. You wonder, do I really like that person? Do I really trust that person? Is that person a friend? I can't, I cannot figure them out. Do they like me? Do they not like me? Was that a passive aggressive comment? Those people take so much energy. They're constantly making you second guess yourself, making you second guess them, trying to figure out where they fit in your life. And so what I would say is look at every relationship that you have in your life, the top 20 people that you interact with on a daily basis and ask yourself, do you like this person? Do you not like this person? Or are you unsure? It's the unsures that I want you to begin to look at. You either have to decide, yes, this is someone that I like and I trust and I want them in my life and choose to have them in your life. Or if you're like, I don't trust this person, it's time to let go of the ambivalent relationships. Those are the people that are dragging you down. Those are the people who are taking away mental energy. And if you're a high achiever or you're someone who wants to get a lot done, you don't have time for that. You don't have energy for those ambivalent people. And so my big push for you is decide. I either like this person or I don't. And if you don't, it's time to say bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Uh, If people were to uh, basically go check out more of your work, where should they uh, want to go to or where should they go? Yeah, so um, scienceofpeople.com is our lab website where we have all of our videos, YouTube videos, and our blog posts. If you want to um, uh, just kind of get a little primer, you can check out my book, Captivate. It's I recorded the audio book. You can hear me make funny voices, uh, or it's wherever books are sold. And if you really want to level up, our next class of people school is coming up. It's all the people skills you never learned in school, and that's coming up soon. Incredible. So inside, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Be sure to comment below in regards to your biggest action point or biggest takeaway from today's uh, interview. And like this video if you like this video. And do me a favor and share this with somebody that you know would benefit. Just even one person as life, I believe, is about paying for us. And as always, uh, follow your heart, my friend, and take action and go live the life you truly want to live. Speak to you very soon.